BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Creative Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Davis Maddock, joined today by Jack Miller from ETR. Uh, I mean, I'm just very glad you found a way to make some time for me today. I know uh, we we tried to get you on the Swolecast before. You were busy. You had a picnic on the beach. So I'm glad I'm glad that we are here to talk some uh, some win rate assumptions today, bud. Uh, to clear my good name, I was not on a picnic. I was on, I think, a road trip. Uh, that was a couple of years ago. But yeah. Glad to be on the podcast today. Thanks for having me on. Uh, should be a good time. So uh, sort of the the thesis of what I, I want to hash out here is there's there's this strategy, right? That is, I think, now assumed as the, the Sharps strategy, right? Which is two quarterbacks, five running backs, two or three tight ends, depending on if you get an elite tight end, stack at least two week 17 games, don't take anyone outside of the top 12 picks of ADP or, or out, out of a range of 12 picks of ADP. So no more than 12 spots before ADP later in the draft, uh, essentially, and take at least one running back in the first two rounds, right? This is just, I, I think this is like just the agreed upon strategy, right? Everyone posts their screenshots and that's pretty much what everyone is doing. And before even getting into any of like the, the super granular stuff based on, on things from last year, I mean, one, should we even feel confident in any of this win rate stuff that we have gathered? Because, you know, for for DFS, for example, we run numbers based on 100 NFL slates in the past or 500 MLB slates in the past. And best ball in its current iteration has existed at best if you're being generous for like five years, but really for two years, right, in terms of over 100,000 entries million dollars involved so so let's just start there yeah so i think with win rates you just kind of need a lot of context when you look at them and then you need to keep like a longer time horizon because like a lot of stuff if you look at last year like hyper fragile was like what everyone was doing it had really good win rates and then this year it was kind of like four rb strategies did really bad and so i i think kind of with the win rates you just kind of need to not overreact to one year and then look at stuff which is like a super heavy dose of like player context because like last year for example like like bimodal or superhero whatever rb strategy you want to call that where you take too early and then wait that did really well but a lot of that was just because like jonathan taylor and eckler and mixon and Najee and all these guys like crushed in the second round. It, it was just like ch who was the bust but pretty much everyone yeah. else everyone else hit and um even you know like derrick henry i assume was a negative win rate player but maybe not because you got so far ahead in the nine games that he did play um it's kind of this it's kind of what i think of as like the nick chubb corollary where 
Nick Chubb is a guy I don't really want to take at all in managed leagues. Like when it comes to main event time, I just am not interested. But I will take Nick Chubb sometimes at ADP just because there's just a lot of value in, in 14.5.5 PPR points a week. Yeah, Henry actually did have like a 20% advance rate, but like all his teams, I'm sure, were drawing completely dead once they did advance because he wasn't there. Um, so, so I think like just with win rates in general, you need to just have like a ton of context um, and then not like accept anything really as fact. So like, I don't think they're like useless. I just don't think that they're like, you know, like the skeleton key. I don't think you can look at, you know, this construction with this many quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tight ends had X percent win rate last year. Therefore, like we should do it again this year, just because so much changes year over year. And like you said, we only have like so many years of data with best ball. And I think it's also important to like game out why a certain construction might have done well. Like, I think like three tight ends, for example, um, or three tight ends or just extra wide receivers or like just extra at any position other, other than two quarterbacks would have probably been really good last year because of all the, the COVID absences. And uh, I mean, Kittle busted Waller pretty much busted. Right. I mean, like he, yeah. he probably, he ended up, well, I don't know. He's probably like the tight end six or something. If I went back and looked, but obviously like not like he had the one huge spike week at the beginning of the season. And that was kind of it. Um, and I, I just am kind of wondering how that's going to interface with stuff this year. And then also, I mean, the wide receiver ADP got so insane last year on underdog uh, specifically that, I'm also wondering if that's having some sort of uh, impact on, on all of these win rate discussions, like starting two running backs, like the bimodal running back was like such a smash last year because a bunch of teams were doing it. And then they were taking like 10 wide receivers. Whereas that is the, the, like the hyper fragile running back strategy is not seeming to be that popular. Like pretty much most teams are taking, most people are taking five now, sometimes even six. If it's like a, like a superhero RB type build too. Yeah. And, and what you were saying with the, uh, the looking at ter- in terms of players and, and stuff like that, like last year, the two tight ends did not do so well because I mean, if you think through it, most teams with two tight ends probably had like Kelsey Kittle or Waller and they all kind of disappointed. Yep. And so two tight end last year was bad. That's not because like two tight end is necessarily bad or early tight end is bad it's just it just kind of so happened that last year the early tight ends did bad and so that's going to kind of be painted out in the data um and then oh, and then with the uh Hayden Hayden Winks has some work this year showing that like running back and wide receiver ADP is even crazier and running backs are being pushed down like a round relative to last year and receivers are just being pushed up um, yeah so I do wonder if like we're going to see some differences this year and Leone and I were kind of talking about that uh, just in terms of like, if this is the dead zero, the year, the dead zone kind of falls off a little bit, just because the running backs are falling down and the receivers are getting pushed up so much. I mean, I do think there is a giant tear break at running back. Um, but that's not to say that there are not any dead zone guys that I'm not interested in, but I think the drop off after James Connor goes to the Zeke Akers, ETN, Brees Hall, David Montgomery, that's a huge teardrop. Like I would not be surprised if James Conner was the running back three overall, but I'd be super surprised if Zeke, Akers, or ETN were. And I even like ETN. I think he's maybe even discounted right now. Um, maybe like I don't know. His his skill set is obviously way better for the full PPR than it is for 
that like he could have there's totally a range of outcomes where he has like a good PPR season because he catches like 75 passes. But if he only scores five touchdowns, not as useful on the half point PPR. Um, and then in terms of like the the secondary guys, who's your favorite? Or actually, what are you, what are you doing with Kamara? I, I can't decide what to do with Kamara. What are you doing with Kamara? Um, I'm like, okay with him, but like, I'm not really like excited about drafting him. I think I haven't done enough drafts so far where I can truly say I'm like over underweight, but I don't sure right now. I'm like over 8% on Kamara. Um, and that's, that's just kind of where I'm at. I do think like it'll end up being maybe like a, a, a couple game suspension, like two or three games, but, yeah. um, and that's kind of priced in right now. So I'm, I'm fine with him. It does. It does seem priced in. It also seems like he could also just be priced down because the Saints offense is not projecting to be uh, particularly good. What are your thoughts on the the Taysom Hill galaxy brain strategy on underdog where he is tight and eligible? Obviously, you know, Leone and Dinkmeyer are just like, you're an idiot. Like, this is the worst. Like, this this take is so bad. And then the, the more aggressive players are like, oh, I totally see why you're doing this. It's, it's such a, a Rorschach test for how you approach fantasy sports. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I don't, I haven't really drafted Taysom so far, but like, I get that, like, if somehow he ends up as like the quarterback, it just seems like so unlikely to me and, and such like a, a perfect storm that would have to unfold for Taysom to actually be starting um, at quarterback. But like, you know, it, it's not like out of his range of outcomes. And so, like, from that perspective, I get it. I get it somewhat. Yeah. So running back dead zone stuff, uh, you and Leone talked about this. If you guys want to hear more of that conversation, you can listen to establish the edge, but where did you guys land on Zeke Akers, ETN, Brees, Montgomery, Dobbins, Jacobs, Gibson. That's kind of what I, those are the guys I would say are the, the dead zone running backs. And I can, I can kind of see the case for all of them. Like if you squint, you, you can kind of see it. Um, ETN probably my favorite of that group. Yeah, I think Dobbins is my favorite of that group because I think uh, I think the Ravens really want to get back to that run heavy thing they had going on for a couple of years before last year. Because last year was like such just like a crazy combination of their top three running backs getting hurt, the defense getting hurt, like just everyone got hurt so that they were forced into throwing basically. Um, but now that everyone's back healthy, I think they're going to get back to super run heavy. And I think Dobbins is, I mean, at this time last year, he was going two rounds earlier. I know he had a major injury, but like people come back from ACLs these days. And I think Dobbins now, he's going like in the back half of the fifth round. I think his ADP is like 57 now. Um, he's not going to catch a bunch of passes, but like, I think especially in half PPR, he should get, you know, enough carries the efficiency and the Ravens offense should be there. Um, he should score touchdowns. I think there's going to be spike weeks just from, rushing efficiency so Dobbins would be my favorite guy um I'm okay with ETN I, I I mentioned this yesterday when I was on the pod with Leone but I'm starting to come around on him um just because I guess I've soured a little on James Robinson um and same reasoning for Akers it's just like Achilles injuries still scare me even if Akers came back in six months last year uh, and then Zeke and Gibson are two guys who to me just seem like kind of prototypical dead zone guys uh I know Leone likes Zeke a little bit 
Because, I mean, like, nothing, nothing has surprised me less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, it is on brand, but I don't know. I, I, I would much rather wait three rounds and take Pollard. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, there's like Zeke might get hurt. He might just be like on like, and we almost got there last year to the point of him playing so bad that it became untenable to continue giving him the ball. So just imagine what he looks like with another year of age and and wear and tear. And Zeke seems like a guy who doesn't take particularly good care of his body. Maybe he does. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Zeke is, is a health nut or whatever, but I I don't think that is true. So I just like, I mean, if he shows up to camp out of shape and Pollard is like, I don't know, man, it just, it just feels like there is a chance. And, and also, you know, the Cowboys offense was just pretty good last year in terms like efficiency in the passing game and stuff. It might not be this year. Like they might, they might, Kellen Moore might just be like, dude, like we literally cannot afford to be in second and eight because our, like we, James Washington sucks and Jalen Tolbert's not ready yet. And Dalton Schultz is just a guy like we, we gotta be more aggressive and Pollard will obviously be part of being more aggressive. So kind of why I, what I think is the most interesting win rate discussion is like the two guys last year who basically, if you drafted them, like you advanced were James Connor and Leonard Fournette. And I think there is all kinds of second order ramifications from those guys, right. In terms of running back strategy, in terms of where to draft wide receivers, where to draft tight ends, like stacking, because if there, and I'm not saying there won't be, there probably will be answers to those guys this year, but if there's not, if no running back drafted later than 40th post a top 10 season, that is going to, I mean, that'll be like, it's all we'll talk about next off season is how, is how you, you've got to take a running back in the first or second round, because if not, you're totally stone dead. Yeah. I mean, even outside of uh, Lenny and Connor, there was still like, I, I think there'll still be, I don't know about top 10, but like late round guys that emerge, maybe not to like the just absolute smash levels of Fournette and Connor. I honestly, I think kind of what I took away from Fournette and Connor where like they profiled so well as like the type of back that we want to draft, right? Because they were going in what rounds eight or nine, which was like a sweet spot for every breakouts historically. Fournette, dude, Fournette got cheap. Once yeah, the did. once the once the uh, the Rojo steam the Rojo steam started, and I mean he was like he was like twelfth, like it was, cr- and obviously I wasn't taking him, you know. No, neither, uh, neither was I. <laughs> you hate you hate to see it, but I mean he got real cheap. Yeah, and I mean that's like that's I guess Fournette is like a good za- example of like the lesson I learned or the lesson that I think there is to take away is like Fournette profiled so well as like this RB one slash two on an on one of the best offenses in the league, um, where the other guy can't really catch passes. I know they had Geo. Um and I was actually a big Geo guy last Yeah, year, I was so taking I guess, a lot of Geo too. I guess that was, you know, part of my my oversight as well. But like those are the type of guys that we want to draft. Um but because of I guess biases, whether it be age bias or just like player bias because I know like everyone hates Fournette and to a certain extent Connor as well. Um we just like weren't drafting them or at least I wasn't drafting them. I was drafting Connor. I wasn't drafting Fournette. Um, and so that was, I guess, my takeaway is just like the profile of like the Ray guy running back was like staring us right in the face because they were on two of the top offenses in the league. Both of them had like 
a path where they were going to have a role week one. And then if the other guy got hurt or didn't perform, um, then they could have been just the guy. And obviously that's what ended up happening. And we just kind of didn't really take advantage of it. Um, so that was kind of like what I took away. I don't know if you feel similarly. Yeah. I mean, it's basically comes down to like, a, you probably shouldn't be drafting a lot of uh, Tyler Allegier, um, you know, Jamal, well, maybe Jamal Williams, but like JD McKissick, uh, Marlon Mack, Has- Hassan Haskins, like these types of guys, like um, I, I, the, my guys who I think have the ability to be the James Connor or Leonard Fournette um, of, of last year. I mean, I think the most obvious one is Devin Singletary because James Cook might just not be ready to play. I mean, maybe he will be, but like you're getting a good, you're getting a very good discount on Devin Singletary's production. Um, I think Rashad Penny. Uh, I mean, maybe the offense won't be good enough. Like, I think that's maybe another one of the prerequisites, but the offense wasn't very good last year. And he was like the number one player in fantasy for the last six weeks. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson is probably number one for me because there are a lot of assumptions the market is making right now. Like, oh, the Patriots might play four running backs. James White might be on the Patriots. I mean, he might not be. I've heard there, there's like a, a good, I don't remember exactly what it is, but there's a cap mechanism for the Patriots to cut him and, and, and save them, like not have any dead cap for James White. And who knows if he's healthy or not. Um, Rashad White, speaking of Leonard Fournette, I mean, Rashad White is, is a great one. Uh, Daryl Henderson. I mean, Daryl Henderson, like we saw him do it already. And I know everyone kind of has like the negative assumption on Daryl Henderson because he would get hurt in every game that he started. But I mean, running back 46 is crazy for him. And then Tyrion Davis price. I mean, Tyrion Davis price is probably the easiest one. Yeah. I like a lot of those guys. I was actually, I was going to bring up Henderson um, because like you said, like he did it last year. And then if either acres gets hurt again, or if acres just like, isn't what is bad. Yeah, like if the Achilles really just like zapped his. I mean, he got benched in the Super Bowl for Henderson. Yeah. Um, another one I kind of like is Melvin Gordon, even though he's old. No. Um, he, he, there's a big old guy discount on him. And, and if Javante Williams gets hurt, I don't even think they, I don't even, I think Mike Boone got cut. Like I literally don't even, I, is it DeMaurier Crockett who's their third running back or whatever? Like I don't even know. I don't know either, to be honest. <laughs> um, but like Melvin was like, you know, at for a lot of the season, like the lead back, I know it's a new staff. Um, and I know they kind of waited to sign him, which which would point in Devontae's favor. But like I still think Melvin's gonna be pretty involved week one. And then so you have that. And then if something happens to Devontae, uh, then Melvin is immediately like a top 12 guy. And now Russell Wilson's there. Like it, I feel like it's just kind of a similar situation where the other guy is getting juiced up. Obviously, Javante's a lot more proven and a lot more deservedly juiced up than like Ronald Jones and, and Chase Edmonds last year um, for the, the Fournette and Connor parallels. But like, it's just a similar situation where it's a good offense and Melvin is like one injury away from being an RB1. And then even if there's no injury, like he should still be involved. I mean, Melvin Gordon last year was in a stone cold timeshare with a much better running back. And he had 11,000 yards 10 touchdowns and 28 receptions in a stone cold 50 50 with a guy who's way better than him on a shitty team. And far be it for me to be the guy who's touting Melvin Gordon. I mean, it's hurting my soul to do it. I mean, he had more, 
This is so funny. They each had exactly 203 rushing attempts, but yeah, 10 touchdowns last season. And that's kind of what, that's probably kind of how they'll use him this year too. He will probably kind of be the goal line back. Cause that's how Melvin Gordon has always been used really. Yeah. And that's, I mean, 10 touchdowns in the Teddy Bridgewater drew lock offense. Now he has Russell Wilson. Uh, so, so Melvin is someone I haven't really like pounded the table for publicly yet, but like in my head, I just feel like it's a, and, and again, maybe this is me overreacting too much to the Fournette Connor seasons, but he just kind of reminds me of, of both of them, even though he is a couple years older. Oh, it's actually very similar to the Connor thing where it's like a veteran who changed teams. The, the other guy is the flashier, more exciting guy, quarterback upgrade based on, on the previous seasons, you know, Ben Roethlisberger to Kyler Murray for Connor, uh, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater to, I mean, Oh, who do you think is going to be the Broncos third wide receiver? This is uh this is a, this is one that people have a varying opinion on too. Uh, I think like the most likely outcome is Tim Patrick. Like yeah. they just, they extended him, but uh, I mean, I think Hamley is like a pretty solid pick just because like he, he, he's flashed before. Um, and I get like hanging on to the, the prospect profile because he was a good prospect and he is, fast so you know maybe he could be that like locket or whatever for Russ but so I think Tim Patrick's more likely um but I definitely get the Hamler argument and like I'm good drafting Hamler at the end of drafts are you are you one of these people who let the selection of a fourth round tight end from UCLA uh move you away from Alberto Kuibunum as the best late round tight end selection are you are you a member of the cult of Dulcich uh, I'm not, I would not say I'm a member of the cult of, of Dulcich, but I mean, I do Alberto's ADP's tight end 16. Like they're just some of like, I like Irv Smith a lot more than Alberto. Um, and they're going three picks apart. So I have a lot of Irv Smith right now. And that kind of leads to me not getting a whole lot of, of Alberto. I guess. What's the, what's the, the case for, for Irv? Why are you like just feeling, feeling depreciating and someone needing to be the number two? target yeah, there I mean, feelings getting older uh i saw a tweet i forget who it was but like his yards per hour on his dip in like three or four or five consecutive seasons uh tyler conklin's gone i think their tight end two right now is johnny munt um so Irv should be on the field like all the time um and then with the new staff they might be a little more balanced um which is pass heavy relative to what they've been for the past few years and then I mean, Irv has been like pretty decent when he's been on the field. He was a, a good prospect too. So I, I, I guess it's probably like just like a belief in the player um, as well. So I've been drafting a good amount of Irv. Yeah. I, I, that's so like, that's me with Alberto was like, I, I was into him anyways, when Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater were his quarterbacks and he was roadblocked by a top 10 pick. So now that the top 10 pick got traded and Russell Wilson is his quarterback and I would not expect either Hamler or Patrick, regardless of who wins that job, to be a high-volume wide receiver. I think probably whoever wins outside of Hamler or Patrick probably plays outside. Sutton is the one boundary receiver. Judy is the primary slot guy. And the other guys, uh, you know, Hamler and Patrick will both run a lot of deep routes, I think, and not see a ton of targets per route run. So I just – it's just – I think if Alberto is as good as I think he is – and I think he's very good. He's going to smash. If he is a more average type guy, like just, you know, a, an Austin Hooper or whatever, then probably this will be the highest he's ever drafted and, and we'll forget his name and, and the Dulcich truthers will be right. But 
Because there's massive they, – the, the team should throw, what, 650 times probably? Like, I don't think they're going to – I don't think they're going to be super, super run heavy. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe Nathaniel Hackett is is – you know, maybe he played in a part of why Green Bay was so conservative, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers was their quarterback. But it does feel like a massive waste of resources to do this trade for Russell Wilson and have him just be fancy Drew Locke. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I get the the Alberto and, and like I'm still like drafting him. Like, I don't think he's like a bad pick or anything like he, I definitely think he's draftable. I just like when given the choice, I draft Irv more. And so that kind of depresses my alberto exposure a little bit so every every summer in best ball there's like a theme so like last off season was hyper fragile right like that was mm-hmm. what everyone was was focusing on this summer it's the week 17 game stacks right every it's all you hear about it's all everyone posts their screenshot and they're like oh i stacked broncos chiefs i stacked buck Panthers, bucks panthers bills Bengals, whatever how much do you think the correlation matters, right? So, so the correlation of the team side, right? I stack the Chiefs offense, I stack the Bucks offense, et cetera. I mean, not only does that correlate in week 17, but that's going to correlate all season long. Like if your quarterback beats his ADP, that probably means his pass catchers do. But how, like, do you think that the bringbacks, like the, the stacking of the game, do you think that this is people overthinking it a little bit? Do you think that because like I did this stream last night with Josh Norris from Underdog, and he just like got exhausted with me because by by the tenth pick of my of my draft, I'm just like, oh well, I got to take this guy because he correlates with my fifth round pick, and I'm taking Tyler Algier here because I have Zach Ertz, right? And so he was just like, this is boring, this is exhausting. So which side of this do you do you come down on? Uh, I th- I'd be more on your side. I think I've this is something I've kind of come around on over the past like two years um and and I, what changed my mind on it was uh I had this conversation on Twitter with Adam Harstad at Football Guys and he's like this like stats like he's way better yeah. at, at numbers than me and uh and I I used to be kind of more in the boat like acknowledging of course that like the playoff weeks are most important um but I I was kind of on team like just like advance the teams and then it's like three weeks like you'll see what happens yeah yeah, get your stacks like do whatever um to to make sure that you're set up for the playoff weeks but like the most important thing you just want as many like shots at it as you can get and uh and then adam did this like stats thing it like it looked at how the expected value multiplied um as you get further in the tournament and the numbers are just like so insane to the so staggering yeah yeah, like like the multiplier in terms of like how much money is on the line among how many participants in each week and and how the EV multiplies is like so nuts um, that I it kind of like converted me into like a lot more on the team of like yeah you need like to do everything you can to set your team up for week seventeen because like that's kind of the only week that that matters um, and so yeah I think game stacking I think taking like rookies so that you're optimized for the end of the year. I think like guys like Godwin or, or Hopkins um, who like might be unique in the final rounds. Like, I'm smashing I've, I've, the, I'm smashing the button on Godwin. Me too. Um, and I, I see like a different thing on him, like every week on Twitter, which scares me from like, he's not going to be back to like after the bucks by to like Cyril Grayson or whoever saying like he's playing week one. Um, so 
but yeah, I think Godwin's going to like crush when he's on the field. And so I think with best ball mania and, and how much money's at stake in the last three weeks. And then like, if a Godwin team advances, it's so much leverage on the field. Um, so I'll, game stacking was the original question and I've come around on like all that stuff. Yeah. Like it, uh, it's, um, it feels a little bit, and I, I was saying this last, it's a little bit like playing poker where some of the magic of, of playing poker now is kind of gone because you, one, you just kind of know what you're supposed to do with, with uh, you know, the high level solvers and stuff, but then also where it's just like your decisions are already made for you. It's like, okay, well, if I start McCaffrey, Fournette, Keenan Allen, I kind of know, okay, well, I got to take, you know, at least one Ram later. And I got to take Brady and I got to take Godwin, probably Russell Gage is starred Gronk starred. So like what I do is after, after every time I pick a player on underdog, I go through and star all of their teammates and then all of their week 17 opponents. And so by the fifth round or whatever, every time I'm up on the clock, like the, the players that you see, like the next 10 players or ADP, I'll have at least one selection there already starred whether it be the the teammate piece or the week 17 opponent and it's just like i mean one it, it is like it's it's very good for not having to expend like a crazy amount of mental energy per draft or whatever but also it does mean i'm ending up with a lot of teams that are very similar and probably very similar to a lot of people who are drafting like me which is one thing i am worried about which is that not that not that anyone's going to draft the exact same team not that you're going to be duped but that you were going to have very common roster constructions. I am a little worried about that for week 17. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's fair. Cause to get to week 17, like you have to have like the good stack or like the good players, you know? So like, say it's, I don't know, a buck stack that gets to week 17. Um, and then if so many people are game stacking week 17, then you are going to have a bunch of teams with similar, uh, similar players. Although at that point, like there's only so many people still alive in week 17. Um, and so you're probably like, I, I think maybe in my head, now that I say that, like I'm maybe overestimating um, in practice, like how much similarity there might be. Um, but I don't really know, to be honest. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, and, and again, this is probably one of those things where like some of the field is probably overcorrecting. Like I'm probably drafting too hard on the week 17 correlation. And some people are not doing it all. Like, I don't know. I, my guess is probably 15% of the field is drafting with like a week 17 correlation in mind, uh, you know, in terms of like opposing players for week 17. Uh, I think that the Hayden's data was that 40% of the teams that drafted T or Chase last season also had Burrow on them, which like napkin math would indicate roughly like half of the field is really trying to stack probably uh you know if you include like the 10 percent of the times that you get sniped or whatever which i mean if only 50 percent of the field is consciously doing that it still means that that would be a fairly beatable game yeah um i still think i'm i'm in the process of like starting this article now on, on stacking um and it it does show that like if you're getting poor ADP value on stacks, like stacking is still minus EV. Um, I, I forget the exact numbers, but I think it's like if you have a stack with positive ADP value, just like add it up between the quarterback and the receiver, um, then you have like 
if you have positive ADP value, then it's like an 18 point something percent win rate or advance rate. And if you have negative ADP value, it's like 15 point something or 16, um, but below 16.7. So I still think you need to like take into account uh, the ADP value and not just like take a guy around ahead of ADP just for the stack, um, especially if you're going for like a Burrow Chase or Burrow Higgins stack where it's like pr pretty premium price you're paying. Um, I think maybe it's more viable to like move up around if you're drafting someone around 17 for like a backdoor stack. Uh, but, but yeah. Yeah. It's like, that is, um, that is actually one of like the, the interesting wrinkles is like how far ahead of ADP do you go to complete the stack? Right. Cause like, Part, like part of the thinking would be like, well, nothing else matters, but week 17, like all of the expected value in terms of the money is there, but do I draft this guy, you know, 14 spots ahead of 80, like, oh, you know, I'm picking on the turn and there's a 8% chance that Joe Burrow gets back to me. Um, but like, I, I, you know, right. Like, I guess it would be like round five if you were picking on the, or yeah, yeah. It'd be round five. Uh, like you're picking up 503 or whatever, and you have taken, uh, you took T and you took Gabe Davis at the 410 or whatever. And you'd be like, well, it's pretty thin. But like the, the research we have now is that like you actually shouldn't do that and you should set up something else for week 17. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it's pro and then you get into the other wrinkle of, well, is it really that bad if the ADP is going to change? Like, for example, like I was reaching on Wandale for a while for like the first week of drafts, um, taking him in like the 17th or whatever. And now he's like a 15th round pick. So it's like, I don't know, is it really that bad? But I was reaching at the time, but really what I was still ahead of the final price. So it's a lot of wrinkles here. Yeah. Uh, I think like the way to like avoid think or reaching too far for a stack or like the way to think about it in your head or the way like I try to think about it in my head is like with like the the Chase Gabe Davis Burrow example like if Bengals Bills ends up being the nuts in week 17 like yeah you should have taken Burrow but the thing is like there's going to be someone else who had a, the same stack but like got it at like a way more reasonable price and so like even if you're getting like the stack equity that you need. Yeah. That you need, like there's still someone that actually got it at a reasonable price. And so they're going to have a leg up on you. Even, even if like you got the stack you wanted. So are you of the mind that like when we get our first season ending injury or whatever, and we get our first guy who jumps by 10 pit or 10 rounds that you're not taking that guy. Like Daryl Henderson was the great example from last year where I think in the end, he even still ended up having a huge advance rate, even including the teams that were taking him, you know, at his new settled ADP versus whatever, you know, 10th, 11th round or whatever he was before. I think, I think it would make me less likely to take him. I don't think it's like completely, um, what's the word complete. He, I don't think he's like completely undraftable, but like, I do think it, it's a factor. Um, that you have to take into account that like you're getting a guy when a bunch of teams have already picked him um, later. And I do think it kind of matters like when in the off season it happens. Cause like if someone tears their ACL in mid August and like basketball mania is like 80% full um, then that's like so many teams that already have 
a guy at a way cheaper price. But if it's like, I don't know how full BBM three is right now, but like, um, but like now that you're there, it's a smaller subset of teams. And so I don't really know how to like quantify that. That is, that is interesting. Like the, the total number of teams drafted would be similar, but the percentage of the pool with the advantage would be smaller. So right now BBM three is 11% full. So let's say tomorrow Chase Edmonds tears his ACL, right? So all the Chase Edmonds teams have this dead bullet, but a lot of people just got Raheem Moster in literally like the 16th, 17th round for like a month, basically. And I, I think at that point, I would just be drafting him probably at his adjusted cost because it's like a like that's a rosy spot, improved offense, coordinator was his coordinator before specifically brought him in the specifics don't matter but with 11 percent of the pool like that feels different but i think you're right when it's if it was august 27th and clyde edward Solaire uh breaks his ankle or, or you know whatever and ronald jones or you know maybe they bring someone in whereas like that becomes that becomes much more tricky because 300,000 teams just got a good price on ronald jones or or whoever that you didn't get yeah exactly and uh and the ch example this is like totally off topic but like i also think he's he's in that uh kind of like the perfect archetype of of running back that we're looking for like connor and fournette um and and he's pretty attainable right now so uh, i just wanted to throw that in there yeah uh i mean look no one has lost more money on clyde edwards hilaire (laughs) than i have i will say are you going back to the well I so I was when he was like a ninth round pick when it was like ninth round 12th round for CH and Ronald Jones like that you could take both of them which I know is like not a popular strategy I'm on this uh handcuck strategy where you take two running backs from the same team TJ Hernandez noted that 20 percent of the teams in the finals last year had running backs from the same team and intuitively it both seems dumb and smart so like it seems dumb because you're using one or two roster spots for one scoring slot but then the smart part of it is is like well if i draft this guy who goes nuts but then misses four weeks with injury i just i got you know 13 points per game and the game's like locked up for the games that he misses basically uh so when the cost is cheap i don't mind it like eli mitchell and Tyrion davis price together i think is fine um Probably wouldn't do like Damian Harris and Ramondre together, but I, I don't think that that's bad considering how much the Patriots are going to run. But point being, CH got a little bit more pricey. He's like a seventh round pick now, and I'll still take him there if I if I only have one running back up into that point. But I much preferred him in the eight like eight nine turn. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I just think it it like it looks like such a nice bathroom to maybe finally get like receiving work. And, uh, and like, it still is like a good offense, even if he hasn't really realized that potential from that in the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, apparently the dude had a non-functioning internal organ last off season and had to have surgery right before training camp that somehow, uh, was not reported on at all. So obnoxious that, uh, that that didn't come out. What about, uh, what about the chiefs wide receivers? Where are you at? Like, uh, in terms of these guys at cost, like sky is obviously the worst price relative to what his expectation is. But I mean, we just spent 45 minutes talking about week 17 and by week 17, he might be the number one chiefs wide receiver. 
Yeah, <clears throat> I I honestly don't have a bunch of sky. Like obviously, like the <clears throat> like the player, like the prospect. I think everyone does. But like when he's going at the seven eight turn or whatever, it's just kind of hard for me to get on board. Um, I think Juju's like fine at cost. Um, but like I'm not like going out of my way to get him. I think MVS is actually pretty interesting, and he's gotten like really good reports out of uh, out of Kansas City so far. So I, I think I like MVS. Um, and then Mikol, I'm not huge on, even if like this would be the year, like if there ever is a year, I just feel like he's just kind of like a situational rotation, deep threat type of guy, um, and doesn't really have much of a ceiling beyond that. And so that's kind of where I'm at with Mikol in the Chiefs offense, I guess, like Clyde is, is someone I'm drafting Kelsey, obviously I won. Uh, Juju I'm fine with MBS I like um, and then besides that like I don't have too much exposure although I guess that's four players so like I guess that's you know a fair amount of exposure to Mahomes and and the Chiefs offense really the only argument for Hardman is that he is the longest tenured wide I mean he's the only one who's caught a pass from Patrick Mahomes before the rest of their assumed starting wide receivers are all brand new to the team and that's it that's the only argument not, not that he's good uh, or anything like that. It's just that some someone's got to catch some passes, yeah. and and he might be one of them. What about the Bills wide receivers? Because recently there has been pushback on Gabriel Davis's ADP, and I think it's the dumbest pushback of all time. It's like Gabe Davis to me is just an obvious smash where he's going, but then there is a giant discount on Crowder, McKenzie. Khalil, whoever the third wide receiver is. And we know a third wide receiver is going to play a lot because that's what the bills do. They, I mean, they play more empty zero tight end personnel uh, than, than any more, you know, more four wide receiver stuff. So whoever wins out of McKenzie Crowder or Shakir seems like probably a pretty good pick right now. Yeah. I like Gabe Davis too. Um, I don't think he's like a, a smash, but like, I definitely want him at ADP. Uh, at e we have like a pretty, I think, reasonable target share projection for him at ETR that doesn't assume he's going to all of a sudden be like this like target hog next to Stefan Diggs. Um, and he still like comes out as like a pretty good pick. Um, and then Crowder, I actually like too. So I guess I'm pro Davis and Crowder. I think Crowder is going to win the slot role there and uh, yeah, like fill the Beasley role on that at his price is like pretty good. Um, McKenzie. I'm not as big on, like they gave him a tiny contract. Uh, they brought in Crowder. They drafted James Cook, who could fill kind of the same, like, you know, hybrid running back wide receiver type thing that they were doing with McKenzie last year. And then like above all of that, he's just kind of been like a jag his whole career where he's been in the league for five or six years or however long and just never really commanded like a lot of touches in a season um mostly just been a, a return guy and that I feel like is something that should matter and so I I think it's going to be Diggs Davis Crowder which I think is the popular opinion so I'm not saying a whole lot right there but I I like all those guys uh, but Crowder's in, in, Crowder is really cheap I mean Crowder's cheaper than Beasley ever was you know Crowder yeah. is Crowder is as expensive as a Manny as Manny Sanders was last year and Sanders was the fourth wide receiver for them so yeah. you're, you're, you are getting a disc like they're like, and I take McKenzie sometimes too, because you can take him in the 18th and he's a good, he's a good week 17 piece. If you got the Bills <laughs> Buffalo game. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like Crowder a lot more for the reasons you just outlined. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to completely say like McKenzie's undraftable. But I mean, McKenzie, McKenzie last year, week 16, 11 receptions, 125 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, actually, I mean, two you... two touchdowns. I think. Yeah, he scored a rushing touchdown too. Yeah, I mean, anyone could be the 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 skeleton key, and that's what's so nice about these. Is like, you know, I yeah, you can you this. can make you can make any pick and be like, he might be the guy you need. He might yeah. be this year's Amon Ross St. Brown. He might yeah. he might be the guy you need. I forget. I think it was like Eric who tweeted this, but like he said, like you can just fire back at like anyone saying, why'd you pick this guy? By like, what if he has 150 yards week 17, and like, there's just nothing you can do. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Tell the people what uh, you're working on over at ETR. Uh, yeah, so I'm just doing best ball content uh, throughout the summer at ETR. I think we're going to have a stacking article out this week. We just had an article on late round running backs we like. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at JackMiller02, and that's that's pretty much it. There we go, everyone. We're going to get out of here, and I will be back a little bit later in the week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.